Welcome to Everyday Theology, a podcast designed to equip and encourage the local church as we follow Jesus together. I'm Pastor Josh, lead pastor of Vertical Church, and I'm here today with the Momo and the Jojo. Oh, wow. Yes. wow. Okay. Nickname I just came up with I didn't, right here yeah. on the spot. You know yeah. them better as Joseph Hall, Micah Hefner. And uh, today we originally had planned to record an episode on Christian assurance, but uh, we received a question yeah. from one of our many, many listeners across the world. <laughs> so many. <laughs> and this, uh, the question actually came not from a sermon, uh, but from the announcements. Yeah. Do you have that question? People are paying up? attention. Uh, I don't have it pulled up, but the gist was we announced that we would be doing a prayer guide, that, that our prayer team was going to be sending a prayer guide during the season of Lent, um, which we have been doing over the last couple of weeks. And so the question was, what is Vertical's position on Lent? Mm, valid question. Yeah. It's much more angry than that, though, I think, Josiah. Something about that <laughs> popish garbage, get it out of my, something like that. I don't know exactly. I don't remember that part. Verbatim. But <laughs> no. maybe he sent it in your email. <laughs> no, he did it. He's totally gracious. Just curious. And I think it's a great question. Uh, so let's let's talk about it. What is this whole Lent thing all about? Let's start there. Well, from the Catholic Education Resource Center, Lent is a special time of prayer, penance, sacrifice, and good works in preparation of the celebration of Easter. Hmm. So, yeah, I think leading with the Catholic definition yeah, is maybe not, maybe not the way to do it. I'm out. Just, just, close, just close the episode right here. Any final words? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So what problems do we have with that definition? Um, well, first of all, it does come from, uh, the Roman Catholic church. So not, not down with it. Um, yeah, I, I think we're, we'd be better off to, to track it back to its, uh, historical origins and see how it developed throughout the history, uh, of the church. And so like, um, we, we discussed previously off air, um, you know, the the time of Lent is uh, codified in the uh, First Council of Nicaea in 325. So uh, we like that one. We like the Council. Of we Nicaea. like the Council of Nicaea, right? Nicaea yeah, Creed. It's one solid. Of our faves. Yeah, yep. yeah. And so that's not to say that they invented it, but that it was already being practiced regularly in the lead up to uh, Easter, and so it was uh, regulated at that time. Um, and, and we're not even saying that everything that they would prescribe about it, we would also say you should observe related to Lent simply to say that it was a practice that was uh, well established, at least by the early 300s and probably far before that. Mm -hmm. And generally, the practice looks like 40 days of fasting, fasting is a big leading up to, yeah. to Easter, with the exception of Sundays. I yeah. think sometimes that varies, but... Um, that's set aside for you know prayer and reflection uh, and fasting uh, and as we kind of prepare our hearts to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, and the stated purpose of that is that it mirrors Jesus' forty days of fasting in the wilderness, mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's kind of uh, taken as a as a parallel that we can do uh, to that in in remembrance and preparation. It's not all that different than. Advent in that regard, like a, a more lengthy, drawn out season of preparation for, you know, a kind of climactic moment in sort of the redemptive story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even Athanasius, who we also, we also like, like um, sort of implored his congregation to, to observe this 40 day fast, 
Which is interesting that the fasting is such a key piece of it historically, mm-hmm. but then that is not specifically mentioned in the Catholic definition that I read moments ago. Sacrifice but they, I think they do fast though. They right? say sacrifice, okay, but they don't say fasting. All right, I'm assuming that's where they get there. But oh, I thought I found that to be interesting. Is that this raises a question? Is this just a Catholic thing? I mean, you let off strong with the Catholic definition, uh, like or you know, how have Protestants viewed this? You know, throughout history, I did that on purpose because I think a lot of people do think it is Catholic. Yeah, um, yeah, and so um, I kind of wanted to to throw that in there. Uh, to get get that get us started off on on sort of that ground, um, but no, it's not. And I think that's what Micah is trying to point out mm-hmm. is that this predates Roman Catholicism and um, the early church. This was a, a a normal enough practice that when the Council of Nicaea gathered, they they needed to address it and put some parameters around it because they felt like there was maybe some unhealth existing in the the practice of Lent and there was a healthy way to do this. And so I think um, that's a that's a that's important for us to know as Protestants who uh, believe in, as you said quite often in your sermon this this past Sunday, we believe that salvation comes through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, as revealed through the scriptures alone. Um, and so when we whenever we hear about a practice that we can't find, in scripture and and it can even be associated with um some sort of salvific effect in some cases in some traditions we we tend to be to throw our hands up and run the other direction um or get super angry and 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 look for a fight um but instead we 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 could actually look back to the early church as a as a better example of what what this is for and and maybe a a good way to think about lent yeah and i think you can see some of that in the way that the uh, the reformers handled it, which um, I heard someone say that history is on both sides here because you had reformers who uh, embraced really all of the holidays of the Roman Catholic Church and didn't really uh, do away with much of anything there. And then you had other reformers who resisted all of it, yeah. and, you know, didn't observe any of the holidays. And you certainly see that uh, when you come to the, the Puritans, you know, in the uh, the Scottish Puritans specifically mm-hmm. were very, very adamant about not celebrating anything other than uh, the Lord's Day. Mm-hmm. So you definitely see people who had seemingly some fairly good reasoning and rationale for why they either did or did not observe um, any of the Roman Catholic, right, or uh, maybe more accurately, uh, historic Christian calendar holidays, um, yeah, including uh, including Lent. Yeah. Why do you guys think that a lot of the reformers and the Puritans did have such an adverse reaction to like the liturgical church calendar? Because it wasn't just Lent, to be clear. It was all of it. It was all of it. All of it. Yeah, Easter, Christmas, they didn't do any of it. Yeah. In my understanding, uh, the one of the largest reasons for that is because none of it was optional. It was if you don't do this, you are living in unrepentance and you might be cast out of the church, um, which is clearly legalism which is a huge part of what the reformation was standing against yeah yeah i think that was one of the major things is because it was uh, mandated top down that it was resisted um, but also because like it was mandated in the sense of if you don't do this or you are uh either you are you're somehow either losing your salvation or you're not doing these works which are necessary for you to receive the grace that you need um and so they were 
a pushing back uh, on what is a wrong way of observing anything where you would see uh, you would see any command that says you must do this to be forgiven. Um, we would we see all that as heretical and wrong. And so you absolutely cannot participate in a holiday uh, that is framed in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of it is how is it viewed in the culture around you? Because um, I think I've, I've even heard people in modern times saying that um, in areas where it is predominantly cultural Catholicism, and that's the, kind of the deadness of that, uh, that uh, false faith, that, you know, Christians feel really, really compelled to not do any of it convictionally. I think that's correct, right? If you're going to, by observing this, be conflated with someone who says either this is this meaningless thing of our outward religion or this is something that is necessary for you to be forgiven, we would reject that outright. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand uh, some of the the reaction that they had, and in many cases still might be a legitimate response today, like you mentioned, in other places um, or in, you know, cultures where that seems to be really prevalent. Um, it's kind of like that, you know, if, if, a, if a church was telling me or a pastor was telling me that, you know, I must refrain from eating sausage uh, tonight or for the next 40 days, I'm going to call myself a Christian, well, I'm going straight to some meat factory where I'm going to Texas day Brazil. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to eat my fill. Zwingli right there. Yeah. Nice. Every Friday. Nice. Eating yeah. Sausage. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So why, why do you think, uh, Lent is growing in popularity again? Because it felt like at least, you know, I think a lot of the high churches, like at least with Anglican church and some other, even Protestant churches, this Lent has always been a thing, but it feels like more recently in sort of the broader evangelical world, Lent is growing in popularity again. Even even among people that I don't think are evangelical at all, like I don't even know if they're Christians. You know, you see them on Facebook. Feels like everybody's posting, "Hey, this is what I'm giving up for Lent." What do, What do you think has contributed uh, to to the sort of growing trend of Lent again? Well, it's a great excuse to to get on the self improvement bandwagon, and I think that's one of the biggest things that our culture loves right now is how do how do I improve myself on the power of my my own strength and the power of my own will, and this is a great excuse if you look at it incorrectly to just like a new year's resolution. Like I'm going to give up something that I need to give up to, to kick it or to, to improve my life, to prove my health, whatever it is. Um, I think that's a, you know, sort certainly to start with a negative uh, view of it to, to say, this is just something that anybody can do because it's just about, you know, giving something up to improve yourself. Yeah, I think I think maybe a more uh, like a positive reason people might be doing it is um, I think a desire to be more uh, connected to rhythms that they feel point them to Christ. Yeah, um, I think that's a reason there's been a, a growing uh, push for liturgy even in just a, a regular rhythms within the church. Like on a Sunday morning, we want to have a structured way that we're observing things, not uh, not because we think we need to be constrained to some dead ritual, but because we actually think that the regular observance of something actually starts to shape our hearts. And so I think people have looked for that in the calendar as well. And I would say that's a, that's actually a good motivation to go back and say, you know, if I can do these things, they're going to structure my year to where I'm, I'm being brought to focus on particular truths at particular times. And I'm doing that year in, year out, that eventually that's going to shape me in a way that advances my discipleship and makes me look more like Christ and causes me to learn and grow in my faith. And so I think if that's someone's motivation, that's actually a really good cause to to try to retrieve some of this practice. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was the two things I thought was a positive was one being one desire and a growing interest, I think, to be tethered to like some sort of historic form of the Christian faith. I think a lot of us that grew up in sort of the like watered down, cheap, Jesus is cool, we're like everyone else, um, kind of church experience have have been left longing for, you know, something that is more real, more substantive, something that is tied to the Christian um faith for for long periods of time and so i think there's a growing interest in what has the church done throughout history is there value there and that's really the second piece is i think people see the value and benefit of setting aside time intentionally uh, to focus on on the cross to focus on you know uh, their own sin and putting that sin to death and and uh, the hope that's offered us in the gospel which is i think a positive thing for sure absolutely yeah i also think uh one one potential positive way to think about it is that it connects you with the body of Christ more corporately. If mm. you're not thinking about it as a specific like individual improvement thing, like we are doing this thing together to, <laughs> to prepare ourselves, to celebrate together, to focus on Jesus together, even to enter into some suffering the way Jesus did. Like if it, if the focus is on Christ as the body of Christ, I think that's a really healthy way to view Lent. Yeah, that's good stuff. So what are, what are some benefits in observing the Lenten season? We've kind of been, you know, talking about that briefly. Let's go into that a little bit more in depth. What good can come from, you know, observing these practices, self-reflection, fasting, you know, devoted time to prayer corporately with other believers? Yeah, I think a lot of the benefits to Lent are, uh, are not unique, and they're more of the benefits that come from any time you observe a period of focused uh, either discipleship or self denial for the for the purpose of uh, for the purpose of feeding on Christ, as it were, right? And so, I, I think anytime you're going to fast for a prolonged period of time, there's going to be extreme benefits to your uh, closeness with God through that. As you deny yourself food and and continue to press upon your your uh, a, a realization of your dependence on Christ, I think we'll all notice that you you actually you receive great strength through that and there's uh, a strength that comes i think to your prayer life when that's happening and to your life in the word um, and so anytime you have prolonged periods of fasting there's spiritual growth that comes from that and that's why we're we are actually commanded in scripture uh to fast not necessarily related to lent at all but we are commanded uh to fast and so yeah it's a there's always gonna be benefits from observing that yeah, you raise a great point. It's really the the spiritual disciplines themselves mm-hmm. that are beneficial. And really the, the timing is really the Lent question. And you could do it uh, after you know Easter right. Sunday mm-hmm. and have the same effect um, yeah. because it has really less to do with the with the, the timing or the calendar of the day and more to do with what's you know the the actual practices that we're engaging in that are super beneficial for us. But I think it makes sense if we're going to observe Resurrection Sunday. Like, you know, to, to observe it in that way, in the same like, same way we would do with Advent or something else. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything to add. I think those are those are great points. All right, so what are some of the dangers or pitfalls we need to avoid uh, when it comes to this whole Lenten observance? Yeah, I think, I think the point Micah brought up is a really good one and worth repeating, that if you're in a context where this is uh, clearly connected with a, a Roman Catholic tradition that is uh workspace salvation then um that would be wrong for you to engage in it in a way that is that could be linked to that um and so that that may not be many of the members of our church but you know it could be if you're in a workspace 
and the person that you work closely with is Roman Catholic and is observing it and believes that it is for their salvation, and if they don't do it, they'll be condemned or anything like that, then it may be better for you not to observe it for that reason, to be able to go to that person and say, look, I believe in Jesus and I believe that he has paid for my sin and I don't have to pay for it through penance or through any other practice. You know, there's nothing that can save me apart from Christ. And so that may be a more, you know, specific to our context, maybe a way that that could be applied um, that we would want to be careful before we just sort of say, yeah, it's fine for everybody because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it it may not be. Yeah. Even considering our context, one of the things I was thinking about is that we need to be careful that we don't uh, reinforce this idea that God is this sort of cosmic killjoy. And what he wants from us is to deny ourselves of any pleasure or anything good in life, because that's how we make God happy. You know, that's not what we're saying right. in Lent, but I think it can be construed that way. And people can think, oh, this just reinforces what I already thought, that God is like against any fun, any pleasure, anything enjoyable. And what he wants you to do is to be miserable. And if you're miserable, that makes him happy. And so I think we need to be careful in the way that we both observe it and talk about it, that we're yeah. we're not reinforcing that idea that a lot of people have that's erroneous. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's also there's a very harmful idea that well, this is how I link myself to Christ's sufferings, and no, very much not. Like we actually share in Christ's sufferings as we walk out our Christian life daily, and as we, uh, I think, bear the rejection that He bore, and as people, I think, make up for in that sense what is what is lacking as we suffer on Christ's behalf, taking Christ uh, to the nations and to our our neighbors. And so I think I think that's really how we we, we identify with Christ and His sufferings. It's not through a prolonged period of of fasting for 40 days where we literally mirror what he did um, because we can't really fathom that level of suffering that Christ had. Um, and, and we shouldn't pretend that we can somehow mimic that in this. I think that's actually a really unhealthy way to observe um, Lent. And another, I think, a harmful thing is that if you, uh, if you feel the... Uh, if you feel necessity to do it, then you should not, <laughs> right? Like if you feel like you must observe this, then you shouldn't do it because it is nowhere commanded in scripture. It is nowhere uh, commended to believers in the Bible. And so if it's something that you feel like, well, we must do this as believers, then I, I would caution someone not to do yeah, it. Yeah, it definitely falls into that category. That's sort of Colossians too. I think that idea of like those, and it has an appearance of wisdom, like do not handle, do not taste. You must, you know, avoid these things if you want to, to, to follow God and, and like, you know, laying on people a, a mandate or a command that is nowhere found in scripture is, is dangerous territory. It can be a good thing to do voluntarily, mm-hmm. but yeah. we must be careful. We don't cross that line and say, you must do it. Yeah. Or if you don't do it, you're kind of like a subpar junior varsity Christian here uh, or immature or something like that. We don't want to convey that mm-hmm. in, in any way. All right. What advice would you give to those who, because I think we have people in our church who are, you know, observing Lind in various ways and, and others who would not, what advice would you give to those who choose to refrain? Yeah, I think we have to be cautious when we make a decision on anything to, to be aware of pride surrounding that decision. Um, particularly, I think in this case, um, as Protestants, as people who love, you know, a good reformation, um, we can, we can quickly become arrogant and sort of look down on those who, who would continue to practice this, even if they're doing it in a healthy way. And so I think we have to caution ourselves if, if we don't practice Lent, then we, we ought not to automatically look down upon someone or even think that someone has made a bad decision because they are choosing to observe it in some way. Yeah, I'd say definitely uh, there's a temptation to become 
I think, divisive in this and to, um, you know, I think pass judgment on people who are who are legitimately observing Lent with a clear conscience, right? And so I think that's that's always a danger. Um, and, and sometimes even to be inconsistent in what we're doing, you know, I think sometimes I'm a little more, uh, I'm, I'm much more likely to personally side with the don't observe any holidays, right? Like if I was running our church calendar, there would be no, <laughs> there'd be no there'd calendar. Be, there'd be Watch nothing. out. This dude it would just installed. be just Lord's days all day. Um, and that's, a, that's so good though, because you're right. Because I think the same people that are often say, I can't believe you're celebrating Lent. I would never do that would not apply that same logic to super happy Christmas. for Easter yes. or, or super Christmas. happy for Easter. Yes. Yes. Right. You know, right. Yeah. It's like, well, you can't have your cake and eat it too, it's like man. This, it's the same. Yeah. yeah. It's the yeah. same thing. You either got to reject all of it or, or, or take it all. Or, take right. it all. or at least yeah. be okay with someone doing right. all of it. Yeah. 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 And so I think that's a helpful thing to try to remember is just, yeah, like um, if someone's observing it with a clear conscience, like let them do that. There's precedent for this in the church and there's a really good way to observe this, even if you personally don't see the value, which is me. Yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking of like, uh, I think what this comes out the, the most is where uh, Christmas, because it, you hear, you know, people are saying, we got to put Christ back into Christmas, you know, and it's like this big, I can't believe Christianity has been exalted by people not, you know, observing Christmas, you know, centering on Christ or whatever. Uh, but it's usually often those same individuals who would really, you know, view Lent with a great deal of like, yeah. you know. <laughs> Uh, suspicion like yeah. this is probably dangerous unhealthy we should not do that which is just ironic but yeah I think another thing to to those who choose to refrain is if you're refraining because you can't imagine fasting you can't imagine giving something up oh yeah and sacrificing in order to uh, pursue the Lord in order to show your need for the Lord and grow in your closeness with him if you can't imagine that you should probably actually do it you should probably set aside a time to fast and if it's Lent great uh, if yeah. that's the if that's the sort of communal motivation that you need, mm-hmm. like I'm entering into this with other brothers and sisters, do it. Because if you haven't fasted, if that's not part of your walk, that's something we would encourage. Yeah, yeah. And the Bible would encourage, which is why we would encourage it. <laughs> and just to lay my cards on the table, I I actually really appreciate the annual church calendar, uh, all of the all, all the dates, especially uh, Christmas, especially though. Christmas, the Advent season, <laughs> but like the whole thing. I just see a lot of value. Your Advent season is, it starts earlier than most. It starts yeah. in October. Yeah, you can yeah. trace it back to 325 and I see it. Yeah. <laughs> Check the docs, man. I, see it's it. I think it says something about that right after Halloween. You yeah. your Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's in there, man. Just yeah. gotta dig. But I just like in the same way that I see value in I know the I know the argument like, well, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday and we celebrate we should celebrate Jesus' birth every Sunday. It's like, well, yeah, that's true. Is um, it always southern people who are saying yeah, that to you? Yeah. You see, there's, there's no there's, there's, there's no northerners who, who feel like always make it sound stupid too. Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks. Whoever <laughs> sees this differently, I obviously that. Is yeah. very <laughs> low intelligence. Yeah. Oh my goodness. No, but uh man, you guys made me lose my train of thought. Oh, that idea of like uh is the same way, like even with your own wife. Like, should I celebrate the love that I have with my wife and the covenant that we've made every day. Should I appreciate that? Yes. But like, there's still value. I think in setting aside an anniversary or setting aside rhythms in our annual calendar for date nights or times to get away. Uh, even if, what even about if, Valentine's day. Oh, I don't believe in that. You know, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, but we actually don't celebrate that very much nice together just cause it's, uh, feels silly. No, it's just, it's not feasible. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so popular. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is hard to get a reservation. But I see value in having intentional time set aside uh, to focus on specific things, both on a family life and church life. I think there's value there. Yeah. Unless, of course, we're saying we can't talk about 
the birth of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus or the death of Jesus until specific dates, then I think now we're, now it's getting unhelpful. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that would be totally unhelpful. Yeah. What advice would you give to those who choose to participate? Uh, you definitely don't, don't see any merit in it. Um, don't see yourself as, as gaining any, uh, anything by your, uh, acts of, of obedience other than what you always gain through, uh, through you know engaging in discipleship so you don't have to give up chocolate to get in god's good graces you don't have to man you could you need more of it in fact <laughs> yeah um and so yeah i would encourage that and then also i i think um you know don't yeah don't do it with similarly don't do it with pride don't view yourself as better because you observe something that you deem as uh, historic and important and valuable um don't see yourself as better than other christians because uh, because you do that. Yeah. If you sit on the street corner with your sackcloth and ashes. That's right, yeah. And that's, that's what makes like, that's what I have. A, I think I have a, about, you know, when I consider the whole Lenten season, I think one of the things that I have the hardest time with is the Ash Wednesday idea and how that's practiced mm. because Jesus seems to be pretty specific. Like when you fast, don't disfigure your faces, mm -hmm. you know, like don't like make a show of it, you know, and announce it so that people know what you're doing, but do it in secret and your father will reward you. So we're going to, it's somewhat ironic we're, gonna like, we're actually going to disfigure our faces yes. yeah. with, with ash and then hop on Facebook and announce to ever the whole world what we're giving up yeah. for Lent. And it feels like that feels like a, like a direct violation of what Jesus is actually getting mm -hmm. at there. And I would, I would caution against that sort of practice. Yeah, but. absolutely. Now there's like, there are also some bad practices associated with Lent historically, like people who have, uh, been deemed to sin gravely would be, you know, marked out specifically to wear sackcloth and, and put on ashes. Really? And yeah. As and it's a, a form of their penance, obviously associated with Catholicism. Mm. Um, so that would be a thing that we would want to, would you say Joe would qualify for some sackcloth? <laughs> oh yeah. If you had to guess. I think all, actually, I think all of Joe's clothing is lined with <laughs> yeah. sackcloth. It's on the inside. That's fitting. See on it. the inside. It's yeah. just itchy. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, yes, there's definitely some, some really bad practices associated with Lent that we'd be like, you can't just don't take it all, you know, don't take anything that someone would say is historic because not all origins are equally biblical or equally valid on any grounds. Yeah. Yeah. If you choose to participate in Lent, I think, you know, we've given a lot of caution and then some encouragement would be, um, rely on Jesus, mm -hmm. draw closer to him, enjoy him. Cause I think that's, you know particularly in times that I've fasted in the past, that is one of my favorite things that happens during that fasting is you just enjoy Jesus more. Um, and so do that and, and don't, um, don't give in when you are tempted to, to give up that fast because you, you do not need whatever that thing is. You need Jesus. And, and so continue in that if you've committed to it. That's a good word. Another way to make the most of it is I think you could, um, utilize good resources. So we we're sending out a prayer guide. Hopefully it's helpful yeah. <laughs> uh, with a different, you know, focus every week. I'd encourage you to make use of that. There's also a lot of great Lenten devotionals out there um, that if you wanted to make use of those, I know we're a couple weeks in already, but usually you have the 40 days, you can just hop right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know, you know, Paul David Tripp has a couple of them uh, journey to the cross. I think it's one of them, which is a good one. Um, and I'm sure there, there are a lot of others that um, would be, help you as you try to focus more uh, on on Jesus and what he's done and what the gospel means for you uh, this season. Any final words before we wrap this thing up? Not for me. Yeah, I don't know. You guys have a, you guys have a favorite non-church holiday? A favorite non-church holiday? Wow, great mm -hmm. question. 
No, I don't. You don't? Oh, Do you? Wow. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're ready. Fourth of July. I mean, Fourth of July is so great. Yeah, I knew and that. Thanksgiving, those are great. Those are both non-church amazing holidays. They're so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I'm just not a huge fan. <laughs> They're all right. They're okay. They're wow. Fine. You know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The fireworks are fun for the kids. For the children. You don't have the right fireworks, Joe. Well, like we're in Virginia. Right. That's and true. So you get sparklers. That's essentially true. Is what yeah, we yeah, got government, here. government pretty tight on yeah. you all around here. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're Joe and you don't care about Romans 13, then you just you know, right. set off and <laughs> fireworks. No, 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 no. In your I don't do that <laughs> anymore. Yeah. I don't do that anymore. I've been convicted. It's under the blood, man. <laughs> it's forgiven. It's forgiven. I've repented of my... Until we never forget. <laughs> That's right. We'll keep a big record of wrongs around here. Your sins might be as far as east is from the west, but it's still near in my mind. Yeah. And I will bring it <laughs> up as, as often as I can. I think can. we're probably done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to kind of put a bow on this thing, whether you you eat or you fast, whether you observe Lent or uh, you give up Lent for Lent, do it all for the glory of God. All right, that's all for this episode of Everyday Theology. If you have questions or would like to find out more about anything we've touched on today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find our contact information on our website at www.birdchurch.com. Until next time, let's keep following Jesus together. <laughs>